Welcome to the Walking Lessons Podcast. Is anger a sin? In this episode, Nate takes us into the powerful emotion that all of us must confront on our road to recovery. And now, here's Nate Larkin. I uh, ran into an old friend of mine, good friend, some of you probably know him, yesterday at Starbucks, Kenny Ben stopped by my table where I was working. Sweet guy, Kenny, used to work here. And then worked uh, for RUF, he's now the pastor of St. John's Anglican Church. Sweet guy, Kenny, his wife, Laura. He was looser than I've seen him in a long time. He was relaxed, big smile on his face. Uh, and then I found out why. He just got back from a seven-week sabbatical uh, that he spent down at a great retreat center in the hill country of Texas by Kerrville, a place called the, the Laity Lodge. You ever get a chance to go to Laity? Well worth the trip. And he wanted to talk to me about uh, one retreat particular that happened while he was there. It was led by a fellow named Dale Ryan, who is the head of the Institute for Recovery Ministry, a fairly new program at Fuller Seminary. And several things that Dr. Ryan said just blew Kenny away, and he wanted to tell me about them. For, for example, he said that Dr. Ryan said that uh, he believes that the modern recovery movement is a spiritual awakening, an authentic move of the Holy Spirit, which if it is, actually makes it bigger than either the Great Awakening that happened in the 1730s, 1740s, or the Second Great Awakening that went from 1790 to roughly 1810. He believes that 12-step um, that, uh, recovery is actually a program a process of perpetual repentance. I agree with that statement. Um, he said that um, <clears throat> in his view, the decision that was made in 12-step recovery early on not to name God has actually helped propel the movement because it made it possible for people to get past religious baggage close enough to God to actually have <coughs> a spiritual encounter. I agree with that too. And he said that uh, the arc of recovery goes from powerlessness to usefulness. And I agree with that as well. Uh, we've been talking here about 12-step recovery, been working our way through the 12 steps. We began with powerlessness and uh, surrender and a trusting in the power greater than ourselves. We're now all the way up to step four. And my experience in 12-step recovery, I've been in it now for 17 years, I guess, coming up on 17 years, is that when I talk to men and women who have enjoyed long-term sobriety, uh, what they very often tell me is that they turn the corner at step four. That has been the crucial step. And uh, while my sobriety you know, certainly isn't perfect, in fact, we did a whole week on that. It's progress, not perfection, right? I will say that for me, a major turning point, probably the major turning point in my step work came at step four, which is this searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So we started with uh, what by common agreement, common experience is usually the number one offender for addicts, that uh, most common character defect, which is resentments. We spent a whole week on resentment. 
Last time we were together, we talked about fear, those hundred forms of fear that can drive our destructive uh, behavior. Today, I want to talk about anger. Anger, which is, by the way, quite distinct from rage. I have a lot of good friends in the Samson Society and outside the Samson Society whose number one issue is rage. And it can be just a very, very uh, mystifying and disheartening trait. And I've noticed that usually people who struggle with rage are they're the nicest people, 99% of the time. They're sweet, they're kind, they very seldom, if ever, explode in public. But in a private moment, if they get triggered, and again, I I'm making a general statement that doesn't apply to everybody who struggles with rage, but I've seen this enough that I believe the pattern holds. They get triggered and suddenly they see red and they just erupt and they find themselves saying things and doing things and breaking things, just doing horrible things they normally would not do. And when it's over, there's a lot of regret when the smoke clears and now there's a recognition of all the damage that I have done to people and to property and to relationships, it's a very, very destructive sinful habit. And uh, I've never done that. Now I've been on the receiving end of that as a child and that was enough to make me firm in my commitment that I would never ever do that. I was not going to be an angry person. In fact, I went a little bit further. I was not going to be angry. And so I made a <coughs> vow that is impossible for anybody to keep. I made a vow as a young child to be better than God, I guess, because I defined anger as a sin. And though I never acted out my anger directly, I did so indirectly in many ways that I couldn't see and wouldn't admit because I didn't admit my own anger, and I acted in in ways that were very destructive to me. Yeah, let's be clear on the fact that um, anger is not a sin. Psalm 4, verse 4 says this, In your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say do not be angry. It says, In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 26 says this. Well, let's we'll read from 25 on. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, he's quoting Psalms now, in your anger do not sin. Or the way it's rendered in the King James, the, the verse I grew up with was, be angry and sin not. I like that. It's even more direct. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We all agree that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin, and yet there's no avoiding the fact that Jesus got angry. Now, we don't see him angry very often, uh, but there's that one episode that really stands out in the life of Jesus, isn't it, when he went in and cleared the temple? Now that wasn't, he didn't just explode, uh, he didn't fly off the handle, that was not an impulsive thing, that was very deliberate, he took the time to make a whip, he was methodical, he went and did a very difficult thing, and, and he did it with appropriate violence, 
turning over the tables of the money changers and driving them out of the temple. And yet he didn't sin. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we take that, and, and if we look at the Old Testament, then we have to admit that God gets angry. Thankfully, he's no longer angry with us. Christ has taken our place. God has poured out his wrath against our sin on his son, and he's no longer angry with us. But God still gets angry. He's angry at injustice. In fact, when we do not get angry at injustice, that is sin. But that doesn't mean that all anger is good. Doesn't mean that at all. We're made in the image of God, and in this regard, I think we're made a little bit like a Ford. Uh, my very first car was a 1964 Ford Galaxy that had a 390 in it and a split manifold and dual exhaust. And it had something we don't have anymore because everything's fuel injected, but it had something called a four barrel carburetor. You guys may know what I'm talking about. So this is how that carburetor worked. It had, it had two pairs of jets. Usually it only ran on one pair, just two pairs uh, two barrels were pouring fuel into the carburetor where it would be mixed with air and then sent to the cylinders to, to drive the engine. Usually it just went along on two barrels. But if you got into a position where you needed more power, if you had to get up a hill or you had to pass a semi or something, you punched it, or when the engine really geared down, when those two extra barrels would kick in. And you could feel it when they did. Just this surge of new power as that fuel came into the carburetor. Okay. God made us with a four-barrel carburetor. He really did. Anger is an involuntary response to a blocked goal. When we encounter a difficulty that our, our normal energy level is not sufficient for us uh, to overcome, boom, we get those, those two barrels kick in. And things happen. Our pulse rate increases. Adrenaline begins to course through our body. The temperature of our skin changes as, as blood vessels dilate. We are given the fuel to take necessary action to remove the, or overcome the obstacle and achieve the goal. Now, it is possible for us uh, not to, to cut off conscious awareness of that process. And that's what I did as, as a young man. I decided, hey, um, you know what? Anger is a sin, and I'm going to be a saint. I'm going to be Saint Nate, right? Absolutely. And so, therefore, I will not get angry. And um, as far as I knew, I never was. And I certainly never exploded. I raised my voice twice in the first 20 years of marriage, and it was over in a matter of seconds. And I was completely unaware of my anger. Now, Allie could sense it, as I think I've said in here. She told me years later that she was always afraid during those 20 years that I was going to hit her because she could sense that anger just seething below the surface. I was unaware. It would come out in sideways, in uh, sarcastic comments, in negative humor. I could slice and dice you up with a smile on my face. And if you started to get offended, I could say, hey, hey, it's just a joke. It's a joke. Come on. A lot of anger behind what I was doing. A lot of anger directed inward and a lot of anger driving my addictive behavior. 
but I didn't want to acknowledge it. I was convinced that I, was not, I didn't have an anger problem, not an angry person. Uh, we pay a big physical price and a psychological price when we do not at least recognize and admit our anger. God gives us anger for a purpose. The purpose is to do something. If we don't do anything, or if we don't diffuse the anger, and we'll talk about how to do that, if we neither diffuse the anger nor do something, then it's like driving with your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. Eventually the car wears out. We pay a big physiological price for that kind of living. Wears down the body, wears, down, wears us down emotionally. Very, very stressful to live that way. We can live that way if we're an exploder. We just desperately don't want to explode. Right? We've done it. We've seen uh, the aftermath. We don't ever want to do that again. So we make the decision, look, I'm not going to be angry. I'm just not going to be angry. Hold it in. Hold it in. We pay a big price. It leaks out in all kinds of ways. We're just hanging on. And then maybe eventually, boom, we explode. Off we go. There's that episode. But in the meantime, we hurt ourselves. We hurt other people. Now, the only difference, there is righteous anger and there is unrighteous anger. The only difference between them is the nature of the goal. Anger is an involuntary response to a blocked goal. If my goal is righteous and it's blocked and I get angry, that's righteous anger. And God gave me that anger so that I can address the injustice or the unrighteousness, and I can do something about it. He gives me the fuel to do it. Okay? Righteous anger. Most of us like to think that uh, when we do get angry, uh, it's always righteous. Right? <laughs> Truth is, most of our anger is unrighteous anger. Because most of our goals are sinful goals. And uh, those goals show themselves when we get angry. So, for example, you know, for years, if we'd be driving down the interstate and Allie would say, isn't that our exit coming up? Okay. I would get angry because she was insinuating that the, um, the omniscient me didn't know <laughs> that that is my exit. I'd get angry. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but see, I didn't, uh, uh, because my goal was to be omniscient, to know everything, because I wanted to be God, because I didn't have a measure of humility and couldn't admit that I do often pass and get lost in another world and I miss exits and miss turns, I would get offended. She's blocking my goal, which is to be omniscient, never to be corrected. Our anger very, very often shows our pride. If you offend my pride in any way, I'm going to get angry. Which is why this humbling process, this recovery process is so helpful. The more of my darkness that I can own and admit, the less I'm going to experience anger. I don't always like to be reminded, but um, I'm, I don't have the full-time job of denying my character defects any longer. See what I'm saying? So, yeah, if I have a goal to be 
uh, to control the world. If I'm a controller, I'm going to be very angry because the world cannot be controlled. Can't. If I haven't accepted the fact that I cannot control people, places, and events, that only God can, then when my maneuvers are somehow stymied and things don't go the way I've scripted them, I'm going to get angry. And that's unrighteous anger. The only way to diffuse that anger is, first of all, uh, to admit it. We've got to bring it into conscious awareness. And that's where uh, the journaling that we've talked about can be very helpful. Uh, those daily phone calls that we've talked about can be very helpful. What I've learned is that uh, I have to, if I don't admit my anger, whether it's righteous or unrighteous, well, if I don't admit it, it accumulates. It just builds up, builds up, builds up. And it, it may never explode, it just may form this poisonous field of unexploded fuel down below the surface that poisons my relationships. Unspent fuel is very dangerous. Once we've got the fuel, we've got to find a way to either burn it or bleed it off. Okay? So sometimes I, you know, I have these conversations with Allie. She used to say, you know, you're mad at me and I would always, always deny it. No. Of course not. I would never be angry at you. I'm not angry at anybody. I never get angry. I'm Saint Nate. No, never. Now, sometimes I will say, you know what, I was angry. And then, quick to say, I mean, unless it's, I can't think of a righteous anger against my wife right now, but there may have been some. Usually it's an unrighteous anger, but I've got to admit it and I've got to say it. And saying, yeah, you know what, I really was angry. I was really angry. Or what even better, you know what? I'm really angry right now. For Allie to be able to hear that without getting threatened, for me to be able to say it without feeling like I'm gonna die, it's a wonderful thing. Bleeds it off. And now, you know, that poison is gone. Sometimes the opportunity to express a righteous anger is gone. I experienced a lot of injustice when I was young. Those days are gone, the people are gone. The anger is still there. I never did anything. It's still poisonous, okay? Much less so now than a few years ago. This is where therapy is very, very helpful. Because a skilled Christian therapist can take you back to that place and give you the opportunity to say what should have been said or do what should have been done bleed off that anger and do something right. And it, it really, I, you know, I've had weird experiences in this. I remember early on being in a therapeutic setting. I hadn't been in recovery more than five or six years. And this scene from my childhood came up. And, and I, what I'd done, the way I'd handled it was, if I just acknowledged that it happened, that's good enough. I just acknowledge that it happened and I just say, you know what, it's over, I understand it now, I'm an adult. Well, yeah, my adult understands it, but I'm still, although I'm 58, I'm still 18, I'm still 8, right? That younger part of me is still there and still hurting, right? Uh, and I just said, you know, it's over, it's fine, I'm good, I'm cool. 
So we got in this therapeutic setting, and they brought up this scene. And, uh, you know, the guy who was kind of leading it said, uh, so here we are. How do you feel? I feel fine. I said, you're not angry? No, I'm not angry. Not at all. Well, this guy was really skilled, and the people working with him were really skilled. And it took him all of about 35 seconds to tap into that anger. And I want to tell you, when I got to it, I got so angry so fast, it took three guys to hold me down. I was ready to kill the guy who was representing the person who had abused me. And then there in a controlled setting, I was able to say and do things I should have been able to do and say as a kid. And I, you know, it was over in about a half an hour. I vibrated for about another three hours. I want to tell you, life got a whole lot better after that. A whole lot better. This can be a, um, a humbling experience to admit what we're angry about because a lot of what we're angry about is stupid. A lot of what we're angry about is selfish and sinful. A lot of what we're angry about is just unrealistic. Admitting our anger is a big part of repentance. And that's why I encourage you, between now and next week, we've done a resentment list, we've done a fear list. I encourage you, before this time next week, to do an anger list. Okay? We just pricked at it a little bit today when we talked about pet peeves. Do a list. And that will help identify for you. Are there areas in which you should have taken action and still take action today? God gave you the fuel to take action and you haven't taken it? Maybe you need to take action. Or things that you're angry at. For instance, my anger at traffic in Franklin is very much an unrighteous anger. I want to be able to control traffic. Uh, I want traffic to part from me. Um, I want, yeah, I want uh, red lights and a siren if necessary so that I can get where I need to go because I'm the most important person on the road. I really want that. And I need more and more to let go of that control so that, um, so that I don't increase my fund of explosive anger that in the end is so destructive to me and to those around me and so uh, poisonous to my peace of mind. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Walking Lessons Podcast. We want to hear from you. Please email your comment or question about today's lesson to walkinglessons at gmail.com or join the Walking Lessons page on Facebook. We'll see you next week.